Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And thou didst send me into the world, and as thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. These words of our Lord from the Gospel according to John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. During Ascension Tide, these 10 days in which the church considers Christ's ascent to the right hand of the Father, starting on Thursday of this past week, the church considers her vocation afresh in the light of Jesus risen and ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he even now at this very moment makes intercession for his church. Though it may seem that he is absent from his church, the ascension actually means that the presence of Christ in his church is made all the more pervasive and powerful. For we are his body, human beings joined to God by the power of the Holy Spirit, a people on whom he has poured out sacred blood, a people set apart for good works, indeed the very works of Jesus, a people upon whom he has poured out his spirit. And this coming Sunday, we will remember that on Pentecost. St. Augustine once wrote of the ascension, out of compassion for us, he descended from heaven. And although he descended alone, we also ascend because we are in him by grace. Thus, no one but Christ descended and no one but Christ ascended. Not because there is no distinction between the head and the body, but because the body as a unity cannot be separated from the head. We also ascend, he says, because we are with him by grace. The unity between the Lord and his body is realized every time we come to the Eucharist. The church becomes what she truly is, a spirit-animated body given life and flourishing by participation in the person of Christ over and over and over again. That is why there isn't much creativity when it comes to what happens here on a Sunday morning. Give me Jesus, I say. Today, the Lord says, sanctify them in the truth. What can he mean but a request to the Father to sanctify his church in his very person? To sanctify his church by his presence, to sanctify his church by his blood, to sanctify his body by his risen and ascended body. About this, the writer of the, of the letter to the Hebrews would write, Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. At the heart of the New Testament message is a vision of Jesus, the great and perfect high priest, who enters not just as God, but as the perfect God-man into the perfect and glorious sanctuary of the divine trinity. And like an iron growing hot in the fire, glowing not with its own fire, but with the properties of fire, his human life becomes divinized. This is the eschatological future for the Christian. Our human nature is becoming divinized. But we must also say that it is the present. It is a future which is already being realized as Christ has taken us with him to the Father. I say all of this this morning because today Christians suffer from a terribly limited view of just how closely the Lord identifies with us, just how much we are in him, just how much you and I have fellowship with 
Jesus. I mean, remember what Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? The new creation, the old has gone away, the new has come. Many imagine that we are left to our own devices for a time, for this life only. Many imagine that God is far, far away from them in daily life. Christian Smith, the sociologist, has rightly identified this belief as deism. And it is the dominant religious belief of a whole generation. The belief that there is a God, but that he mostly leaves us alone until things get really bad. Then we call on him. What's worse is that many have this idea that Jesus Christ, eternally begotten of the Father, was sent alone into this world, gone from the presence of the Father. I remember a Christmas letter by a certain prominent uh, Christian woman who wrote to the parish uh, that her husband served as rector, very large parish actually, and she spoke of how God knows what it's like to be a parent at Christmas with your children far away. This is what happens with Jesus. He goes away and he goes away from the Father and this is the incarnation. It's entirely wrong. It's just flat wrong. The Trinity is not broken in the incarnation. And the Trinity is not broken in the crucifixion. And the Trinity is not broken in the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand. And the Trinity is not broken on the day of Pentecost. When Jesus says, as thou didst send me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Do you see what this means? When Jesus prays that the Father would send his disciples into the world, he does not mean, indeed he cannot mean, that he intends to send us into the world devoid of his presence. To be away from him, to be far from him. In fact, it's the opposite. The same Lord who says, I am with you always, means for us to be with him always wherever he is. The church continually constitutes the sacramental presence of Christ in the world, an outward sign of God's continued initiative in loving and saving lost humanity. And as soon as you walk out that door, that is what you are. In other words, the church bears the gospel into the world because she bears Jesus. This is why the church has always been understood to be a kind of mother. Because she, like Mary, bears Jesus into the world, a living tabernacle in the flesh. St. Cyprian, a noted North African bishop in the third century, put it this way, no one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. We were born to new life in the very heart of the church when we were baptized. We were brought up in the faith by the nurture of a loving mother. Even when we stray, we have the prayers of the devoted mother of the church who intercedes for us precisely because she is close to Jesus at the right hand of the Father. On Mother's Day, it is important for Christians to ponder this truth. For mothers to look at their own vocation in the light of the church, as mothers in the church, especially as those who hold to a vocation of motherhood in the domestic church. It's important for us to ponder this, for those who have lost mothers to look upon their status as beloved children. And for those who yearn to be mothers to see that as members of Christ's body, they have the glorious calling of laboring for the salvation of souls as a person consecrated in the truth. All of this comes into particular clarity when we approach the Eucharist. We trust the church to give us Jesus, don't we? 
I mean, I'm always struck by how I, I often will approach the line in communion and sort of unintentionally, and then, and then the priest just says, this is my, you know, this is the body of Christ which was given for you. We trust that in the Eucharist we will receive the grace we need both to amend our lives and live by hope in Christ. This past Friday I was listening to a talk by a Catholic author by the name of Eve Tushnet. She grew up a secular Jew on the East Coast and by the age of 13 she had come out of the closet as a lesbian to her parents and schoolmates. And it was at Yale in her sophomore year that she met Christians who simply loved her and shared the gospel with her. And it was through her exploration of Christianity that she was filled with a desire to meet Jesus in the Eucharist. And she thought, well, if I want to meet Jesus in the Eucharist, I guess I have to become a Christian. And she says this. She says, if I trust the church to give me Jesus in the Eucharist, I have to trust the church to give me the truth about Jesus. And for her, this meant reevaluating everything in her life by the light of Scripture, even the things which she believed about herself to be closest to the truth. Not as she wanted it to be, but as it had been given. And she's now a committed celibate and author and writer and speaker, and she volunteers constantly in a crisis pregnancy center. I'll be quite clear as to why I say all of this on this particular morning. There is a great deal of anxiety in the church today. And if I'm really honest about it, there's a great deal of anxiety in me. We wonder what our place in society will be even in a few short years. We wonder what the status of Christians consecrated in the truth, devoted to the truth, will be in institutions in which we once held dominant dominance. We are concerned for our churches, we're concerned for our universities. In many places the demographic picture doesn't look good. In our own diocese, Christ's church is an exception, not the rule. We come into church and we are almost regularly and gloriously bombarded with the sounds of children. That is not normal. We have anxieties even on a global scale. We worry about global politics, the ongoing violence in the Middle East, and the list goes on and on and on. And very often our anxieties betray the truth that we are not acting like Christians but like deists. We are not acting as those who have been brought very near through the blood of Christ, who have an intercessor with the Father, who have an advocate in the Holy Spirit, but as those who are far away. We act not as people who have faith, but as atheists. The difference will only come when we cast our anxieties upon Jesus, believing that he is very near, not only to us, but to the Father, and that through him we have drawn very near to the heart of God. If you came here this morning fearful that Jesus is not with you, hear this. Oh, he is very much with you. And he's with you in your anxiety, and he's with you in your fear, and he's with you in your concern about what your life will be, and he's not only with you, but he's with you, and he's with the Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.